Welcome or welcome back to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast where I go in deep with the experts in topics of mindset, nutrition, and inspiring stories. And occasionally we do a special edition episode and today is one of those days. My husband, Matt Iwanis, will be facilitating a conversation between my teammate from Brazil Ride, Gordon Wadsworth, and I. Gordon and I won the Brazil Ride, which was a seven-day stage race across Bahia, Brazil, just a region of Bahia, actually, because it's quite a big state. But it took place in October. And for me, it's the hardest stage race I've ever done. I've done, I don't even know how many, maybe 20-plus stage races, so that's saying a lot for the difficulty of this event. I have raced it mixed before. I've raced it in the women's category. I've won the women's category, but I never won the mixed category. So I really wanted to go back and grab that. So I asked my good friend, Gordon, who I also raced the Pioneer in New Zealand with back in February to be my teammate. So this is a fun episode where Matt asks us questions about the race and we talk about some fun experiences and even go into some tidbits on how we dealt with certain things that happened along the way. So I hope you enjoy the show. We did a precursor episode before Brazil Ride talking about the Pioneer in New Zealand. We also had Gordon's wife, Emmy, on the show, and we briefly had discussed Brazil Ride. So if you want part one of this, make sure you go back in the list of episodes and look for that podcast. Thanks so much for all your support online during the race. It was really cool to see so many fun comments, and I have so many great pictures from Sportograph from the race that I've been posting. So all the pictures in the green jersey, that was the leader's jersey, and it was a great honor to wear that jersey. Those are the pictures that you've been seeing. And now it's the off-season for me, so I've really been enjoying having no structure, not having a super strict diet, so I've been eating a little bit more treats lately, which I need to kind of back off on that train. But it's been a really great year so far. Um, it's, It's not over yet, but my racing season is over, and I need to work on my recap of the year. That will be done in the form of a blog post. So make sure you guys are signed up for my newsletter. You can do it on sonyalooney.com. A sign-up form pops up automatically when you go to the website because whenever I write a new blog post or something notable comes out, I send out a newsletter. But I only send out a newsletter maybe once a month, so I don't want to clutter up people's inboxes because I know what it's like to be on a lot of different email news lists. I have played around with the idea of sending out a weekly newsletter notifying you guys of a new podcast episode. I know that some of the other podcasts I listen to do that, but I'm not sure if you guys want to get a weekly email notification or not. So let me know. Give me your feedback on that because I definitely want to do the best thing for you guys. Thank you so much to everybody who is supporting my work on Patreon, a crowdfunding website for projects. The podcast is a really fun thing that I get to do on a weekly basis, but it does require a lot of attention. And I also send all of my episodes to my audio producer, Roma. So every dollar that you put into the Patreon account goes towards the production of the show. So let's get into the conversation today about Brazil Ride. Here is Matt Iwanis, Gordon Wadsworth, and myself. So we are going to be talking about Brazil Ride today, which is a seven-day mountain bike stage race that Gordon and I won a few weeks ago. And Matt Iwanis, my husband's going to be conducting the interview, so he's in charge. So watch out, world. He's in charge. This is right. This is serious. It's really dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's just get right into it then. So 
First of all, I know it, Sonia, you've been to Brazil Ride. This is your third time going, I believe. That was my fourth time going, but my third time racing. And I'll tell you guys why really quick. So years ago, I went to race Brazil Ride and the race was, and they invited us. So they covered our plane ticket to go. But we got there the day before the race started and my flights got missed. All these bad things happened and my bike and suitcase got lost. And long story short, I didn't get any of my stuff until day four of the race, so I actually didn't race. But that was good because I had a concussion. So don't race with a concussion. Otherwise, the universe will make sure that your bike and your suitcase get lost forever. That's right. It doesn't work. <laughs> so, and, and Gordon, aside from losing your bike, you've been there and you've actually won the women's category, correct? That's right. So uh, my last time at Brazil Ride was in 2014. And it is a UCI race for those of you who are UCI fluent and care about UCI. Um, <laughs> get those points. <laughs> I honestly don't really care about it, but you know, a lot of people do and it adds prestige to an event. So yeah, I raced the women's category with Nina Baum and we won and it was a really competitive year. So it was really cool to have that, but I really wanted to go back and race it with Gordon. And Gordon, have you been, A, have you been to Brazil before and B, have you ever done Brazil ride? I've never done either. Never been to Brazil. I've raced a bunch in, in Central America, but never South America and never done Brazil ride. So I was really excited to get down there because it is, I mean, having raced mountain bikes for, for ages and ages, it is, it is one of the, the best known multi-day stage races in the world. Like Sonia said, UCI status really kind of elevates it to a place that not many stage races have internationally. So it's the big show for sure. For sure. I want to bring something up. So you and I were drug tested at the race because it's UCI and I was really happy that they were doing drug testing at the Brazil ride. But when Gordon and I got drug tested, it was like day four or five of the race. And we literally had just raced for six hours and it was hot. So it was we're the longest day. Yeah, no question. That was the longest day. And the day we were most dehydrated. <laughs> what was the temperature? Like it was like a hundred and humid. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good yeah. combo. Yeah, so we, we finished the day and they come up to us with their clipboard and they got like their paperwork. So they have to stay with you until it's time to get drug tested. You're not allowed to go anywhere. So yeah, yeah well, they took us to the little room, but there's no food, there's nothing. And now you have to, to go pee. So Gordon and I both had some different experiences with this, but yeah, you can go, you can go first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been drug tested domestically before, but it's a little bit different when you're... Um you're in a stage race format and when, when you're dealing with some language barriers and things. And of course, I chose on that day, like Sonia said, a six-hour day or so, I chose to relieve myself at the top of the very last line that day. So we're <laughs> freshly relieved, rolling into the finish line and ready to enjoy. You know, that was the, the sort of last really long day for Brazil Ride this year. And so I was looking forward to really enjoying the beach and maybe a <laughs> your beer or something um, and immediately you know you get called get notified as soon as you cross the line that you'll be drug tested and they sort of have a steward that you know holds your hand basically until you're in the restroom being monitored there as well but they really don't let you out of their sight and so both Sonia and I were in this position where it was like great we, we really don't have to go to the bathroom like that's not an on command sort of thing you know <laughs> after <laughs> so six they, hours in the heat like the last thing you're gonna yeah. do is be like oh I have to go pee now <laughs> Yeah, we're dried up, <laughs> pretty dried up, you know, and so we, we definitely had to, to deal with that, and that was probably the worst day they could have done it, and there was some irony in that it was a random drug test, and yet both of us were randomly selected. It was like, by the way, you're randomly selected, <laughs> so it was kind of funny, but yeah, we, we managed eventually, I mean, geez, an hour and a half later, like, to, oh to produce a sample. 
Because you have to pee know? a certain amount. Like, you can't just pee a few drops. No, no. It's a, it's a big cup, man. The best part to me was that they put us in these, you know, in this kind of waiting area. And it's it wasn't super hot in that waiting area, but it was it was not pleasant. And there's, you know, there's like five athletes back in there. And all we have to drink are these tiny little containers of mineral water. And I think I drank a half a bottle of champagne that was left over from podiums. <laughs> So whatever my BAC is when they get that test back, fortunately, that's not a performance-enhancing substance. <laughs> it was kind of like great. <laughs> yeah, man. It's always a mixed bag, you know. But that was, yeah, I'm with Sonia. That was a really good – it was good to see that they were taking that seriously at that event because, you know, when the UCI is involved, that's very much what they're there for, right, is to sort of guarantee that the playing field is level, right, and drug testing is a big part of that. So that was good to see. And again, it further legitimized the event and our result there. I think it's kind of interesting as like, as people that may not be in the pro category or may not race UCI that often, they don't have the experience of drug testing. So maybe I'll direct this towards Sonia. So what exactly goes on? Like, is there a little curtain you stand beside? Is somebody holding your wiener or like, where, <laughs> <laughs> like, how, where, how do they verify what's going on? <laughs> Well, I don't have a wiener. Thank um, God. I think you can verify <laughs> verify this for sure. Verified officially. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's really strict and they need to make sure that you don't have like a secret bag of clean pee that you're hiding that goes into the cup. So basically you have to pee a certain amount into a cup and it has to be like, I don't know the right word for it, but like thick enough, enough particulate matter in the liquid solution. So I had to drink a gallon of water before I could pee. So I was like, please, please, I hope I can go. And then when they tested, I actually, I had almost had too much water. So I almost didn't have thick enough pee. So what happens is they have to watch you. So as a female, you have to go into this little stall and you're with a girl and she stands right in front of you and you have to crouch. You cannot sit down. So you just raced your bike for six hours. You're four or five <laughs> days into the race. Your legs are sore. It's really hard to hold like basically a squat. You know, you have to hold the squat and then you have to relax your body so you can let the pee out while somebody's watching you and they have to watch you go into the cup. So it's a humbling experience to have somebody watch you pee. I mean, most people don't have that happen to them. So, <laughs> but I mean, those are in place for a reason. Those rules are in place for a reason. And yeah, it's just interesting because people don't really think about what drug testing actually looks like. And, and that's what it, they're allowed to do whatever they want. Like the people watching you because yeah. their job is to ensure that it's done properly. And then mm. you have to fill out all this paperwork and also write down all the supplements you've taken in the last seven days. So, yeah, I mean, it's legit. That's pretty cool. Well, maybe let's sort of roll back to the <laughs> beginning of the race a little bit. So you guys both came from different sides of the continent pretty much, right? So Sonia's in Canada coming from the West Coast. Gordon's pretty much East Coast. So you guys met up in, uh, where did you guys meet actually at the start? We uh, met a few days before the start in the town. So the town was Ariai de Juda and it's mm -hmm. on the beach. It's beautiful there. I mean, perfect gorgeous. sand beaches. The water is like this beautiful teal color. I actually never actually went into the water because I was always too tired, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have the opportunity to go this year, but Gordon, your wife, Emmy, was able to come and race as well. So what was that like being able to travel down there and experience different culture with her? And, and I know I actually have to direct this to both of you guys. I know that you both speak relatively uh, passable Spanish and you're both extremely extroverted people. Uh, <laughs> 
how was it not speaking Portuguese and, and was it pretty, did people speak English or, or could they understand Spanish or how did you, how'd you deal with that? Yeah. So while in there, Matt, whoo, right? <laughs> so you know, my wife, Emily was, we had kind of decided that she was going to come down and do Brazil ride this year. And we found her a really good partner in Jordan Salmon from Brevard, North Carolina. And I was really excited to kind of have that be her first stage race experience. I mean, she was present, like we mentioned in the last podcast for the Pioneer in New Zealand, but wasn't really, didn't race that, right? She had her own, you know, struggles and, and tribulations, but didn't, didn't race that one. And so she was really excited and I was really excited to kind of watch her. But honestly, as, as a spouse and as someone who was trying to get kind of the most out of my own performance, it was a little stressful, like going into that. I thought about the two of you guys a lot because it's a little bit stressful going into that. Like, you know, I got to, I got to dial in my own game, but I also got to, you know, build Emmy's bike and make sure that she has the right nutrition and make sure that all of her clothes are you know, going to be good for the conditions when I check the weather for my own. And like, there was definitely a, an element of a stress involved with that, but I was excited to kind of watch her, you know, Emmy is, she's tough as nails. She's way tougher than I am in so many ways. And so I was confident that, that at least while we were racing, right, she was going to be good, right? Um, the prep, you know, the, um, the takedown and the prep and all that kind of stuff, maybe yeah, I'm sure we were going to work together. But while she was racing, I knew that each of us would be able to give 100% to the racing effort on the day, you know, and that was that I was really confident about. And so I kind of put, put some of that stress at ease. As far as the Spanish goes, man, I, you know, I think – love and stoke and enthusiasm is kind of an international language right and so i knew going into it that fortunately google has all kinds of neat tools that sonia showed us and there's all kinds of of ways that you can get around a language barrier because it's 2017 right it's the future but i think we picked some up you know we learned how to say uh everything hurts um <laughs> where is the bathroom what time is breakfast uh, i mean all of the crucial things <laughs> you know <laughs> On your left, <laughs> and right? move out of the way. Insert expletive. No, we don't ever do, we don't ever talk like that in a race. But yeah, my Brazilian homie. Brazilian. <laughs> uh, yeah, we definitely we definitely picked up a lot of Portuguese, and we were really blessed to have some um, some close friends too who uh, who helped us along when we needed it. So it was cool. The Brazilian culture. Uh, was a little bit funny, and we talked about this a lot, in that they're kind of a little bit, at least to me, they were kind of a bit standoffish, right? They weren't eager to engage you almost. They were kind of tough and mean and, you know, like all of this. But then when you get, actually you kind of break the shell and you get inside of, you sort of start to build the foundations of a relationship, they were actually really cool. And they really wanted to engage with you. And that was really funny to me. But we made a lot of really quick friends, right? I think I think Sonia and I, like you said, Matt, are both pretty outgoing. And so we succeeded in winning some friendships along the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and Sonia, do you want to give us maybe a little bit of an overview of the course itself? Because you've done the previous courses and this was a new course. And you guys started off, my understanding is on a, a beautiful beach and finished there, but there was a lot going on in the in-between. So what was the actual profile? I think you mentioned it was seven days, but what maybe sort of profile of the actual course itself. Yeah, so I wanted to go back to Brazil Ride. One of the other reasons was because they changed location and it's really unique when stage races do that. Most stage races use the same course over and over and over again, year after year. So the incentive to come back after you've done it like, you know, three times isn't super high. But 
Brazil Ride and actually Single Track 6 are the only two stage races I can think of that dramatically change their course. And Single Track 6 actually changes it every single year. But Brazil Ride, this was the second year event for this course. And previously, the old Brazil Ride was in kind of a desert place. It was, you would go fly to Salvador, which is in the state of Bahia, and then you go 10 hours inland. And it was really rocky and dry and just a different type of dirt. Whereas this course was the jungle. It was full on. So, and the climbs were short and punchy, whereas the other climbs were really long. So you start on the beach, you're riding through all these really slick, rooty jungle trails with, with roots. And I was actually really happy to see some technical riding because a lot of stage races don't have that. And if you like technical riding, which Gordon and I both do, you have an advantage and it's not even really an advantage. You're a mountain biker. You should be able to ride technical terrain. That's yeah. Big statement right there. <laughs> yeah, it is a big statement and um, I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to make it. I'm doing it. And the middle parts of the race was interesting because you were on the beach for a couple of days, but then you'd have this 130 kilometer day to go inland. And that was stage two of the race for Gordon and I, and we had won the first stage. It was a prologue by a couple of minutes or maybe two minutes or something. I don't know. Do you remember Gordon? A uh, minute and a half. We minute. had about a minute and a half lead, which is not a time going into a 85-mile <laughs> stage two. Yeah. You're kind of in lead, but, like, it's almost irrelevant, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I, I actually got heat stroke really bad on day two of the race because it was over 100 degrees. It was so gnarly. Um, and it was a roadie stage. Like, it was legitimately a road race that day. Yeah, we were both pretty peaked. I think a lot of people were pretty peaked. I mean, um, Emily and, and, and Jordan had their own kind of trial with that, but we were both pretty peaked. I mean, that was the first day, I think, you know, I think that both of us were kind of like, oh, gee, you know, this is serious. Because I, I, I don't usually cramp. I don't usually have any nutritional issues, but I had a little bit of cramping going on to the point that I couldn't, I couldn't really do as much as I might normally do to support Sonia and, and us going fast as a team. You know, it was like every time I would get a little push, every time I would come to the front of the group, it was like I would have a, just like a twinge of cramp. And it was like, I can't do that. Can't, can't be fighting that. Um, and so we definitely, we had a really long trying day two because you kind of crawl up from Ariel de Ajuda up to the mountains and you know so you net gain elevation and some of that was pretty steep pitchy stuff you know and in the in the, the boiling sun i mean some people's computers reported you know 105 degree temperatures and it was like just really tough and so we about halfway maybe a third of the way we kind of realized that we really had to to back off and ride our own pace and then about halfway at the first main aid station we saw uh, the competition that we were racing let me, maybe I should back up. We kind of pegged them right at the start, and they rode like bandits, man. I mean, they rode hard. We had seen them in the single track briefly on day one because they had started stage before us and knew knew at least that we were stronger in the, in, in the technical, right, based off of that little sample. But then we get into this long dirt roadie stage with a lot of bumpy road, a lot of steep ups and some big rollers and a lot of group dynamics and about a third or maybe 40% of the way through the stage. Like it was clear that they were just, I don't want to say that they were faster than us, but they were just working harder than we were and committing to that. Right. We just, we couldn't shake them. And eventually it was like, all right, let's let them do their thing. And so we let them go a little bit and, and rode our pace. And then we actually saw them again at the, 
the big aid station, the like 50 mile aid station or something. And we kind of like for a minute, we're like, all right, you know, like we're there, we're right on them again. And then I think we pretty quickly were like, you know, we're both in a bit of a spot of bother. Like we need to back off. We need to ride our own race. It's day two. You know, this is not unrecoverable, but this is something we have to manage effectively, right? We can't just go deep into the red and end up in a bad spot as a result. So we, um, yeah, we were in green that day, which is really, really cool and really great to start the first, you know, mountain bike stage race day instead of a prologue day um, in green in the, the green leader's jersey. But it was hard to see, to kind of let them go, right? It was a big unknown, something that Sonia and I talked a lot about that day. And it was like, all right, let's just do what we can do, you know, and not stress about them right now. We got, we got five more days. Let's let's do our thing today. So, yeah, day two was tough. Day two was long and tough and hot. It's funny, Sonia, to sort of maybe be really honest about the way Sonia felt that day. She, I don't know if we were talking the phone or, or what it was, but... She said, yeah, I don't know what happened. I looked down and my heart rate is 180 something and I'm putting out like 120 watts. Yeah, literally 120 so watts. Sonia is like deep into the red and nothing's happening. Yeah, and I mean, this is this has happened to me before and it was actually at the Rincon de la Vieja in Costa Rica. It's a hundred mile race in Costa Rica. And the first year I was there, it was the hottest year. And I remember looking down again and seeing a really high heart rate and a really low wattage. And I actually thought that my power meter was broken. And from having that previous experience, I knew, okay, I have, I have the signs of heat stroke. And during the day, I, w I felt really nauseous. I thought I was going to throw up. So it's really important in those situations. It's, number one, it can be very dangerous. So I don't actually want to give people a recommendation that you should keep going when you have heat stroke. But for me, that was the right decision to make. And I think also having a partner that understands that and, and can be supportive also sort of lessens some of that risk too, rather than being a solo and trying to, right. to do that. Right. So we just had to ride easier. And yeah, I mean, it was humbling and it was hard to say, because in my mind, I'm like, this is our race. Like we're going to win this race going into it. And then to lose the leader's jersey on day two and to be like, wow, like maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we're not strong enough as, as a team. And and wow, like if this is only day two and it's hot like this, what if it's hot like this the whole race? And what if I can't even finish the race? And there is all those thoughts of doubt. And to be perfectly honest, that happens a lot in races. It doesn't matter. Like, even if you're winning a race, you still have thoughts of, of doubt. And am I even able to finish this thing? So, yeah, people think that just because you're fast or because you're winning, you don't have those feelings or those thoughts. But you actually do. And fortunately, we were able to, to get the leader's jersey back. But after we finished stage two, like, I actually thought I was going to pass out. We were sitting there having some water. And I said to Gordon, like, hey, man, can you watch me? Because I might pass out. <laughs> yeah, we're both pretty peaked, and I remember that. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember coming in and seeing the folks that had beaten us that day, Valerio and um, Selena. Selena, thank you. I remember seeing them. Like, you know, you finish an event, and you know you did as, as good as you could do, but then you kind of watch to just like there's that dead space where you're waiting for the next rider to come in and see what your gap was. And they were, so they were hanging around to see what their gap was to us. And, and sure enough, like we get into the kind of finisher zone and we're like, we're just to beat, like just beat. And um, two of them are kind of at this bump and then like, they're, they're excited because I think they had a good, they had a good little margin on us that day. And, eight um, minutes. Eight minutes. Yeah. Eight, eight minutes or like 10 minutes oh, total. 10 minutes. Yeah. They came to us that day. And so it made it like an eight and a half minute gap, if I remember right. 
and yeah, that was really tough because it wasn't like we finished strong. <laughs> you know, we finished and we came in, but then we both just like collapsed you know, on the it's ground, done. like there, <laughs> and eating and like, man, like that was a long day. And it, and it was like, if you look at the metrics from it, I mean, heart rate, you know, like this, or heart rate, especially from, from my numbers, it was like, that was a long, hard day. You know, that was a, that was a tough day. Um, and it was, it was five, just under, it was like under six hours, um, 85 miles, all, I mean, less than a mile of road surface, I think, is what I clock. So it's a lot of muscle tension and, and group effort, you know, it was a lot, um, for sure. That was a tough day. And like Sonia said, you know, you kind of, you know, being in a leader's jersey is, is great and it's reassuring, but it's also like that target and it's also kind of some pressure on you. And so we were in that position where it was like, man, this is like, we got, uh, man, this is, this is great. This is sweet, but here, there it goes, you know, up the road. <laughs> and that was a little stressful, but I think we, I think we did a good job then of kind of dialing it back to damage control and making sure that we finished day two kind of safely and without going too deep. But then sure enough, like we sat down and Sonia, I remember was like, I'm, I'm dizzy. Like I'm, I feel like I'm going to pass out right here. And so we kind of just sat and recovered and, and then, and then got about to doing what you do in a stage race, which is focus on the next thing that's going to prep you for success, whether that's cleaning your bike or getting food or rehydrating or preparing for the next day and then getting to bed early. Like, you know, you just, I think you learn a little bit to compartmentalize it and, and stress about what you can control and control it and the other things you, you know, you manage. And I think we did a good job of that that day. You know, I don't remember us having this like, oh, gee, what are we going to do kind of mentality <laughs> I remember us kind of like, all right, let's, I'll take the bikes and get them clean. You know, you go clean up and get us some food. And, and that was kind of, you know, check the boxes. Like that was kind of it. Yeah. So that, my question was sort of psychologically, how do you deal with that from an emotional standpoint? And then, cause you're in a, in a partnership scenario too. So you have, you know, one person who may or may not be more blown than the other person. And there may have been more challenges in and around that. And so how do you talk about the strategy for the next day? And how do you approach that next day sort of as a team and, and psychologically? Yeah, good question. And I'll, I'll let Sonia chime in on it for sure. But I think we knew that that was the dirt roadie day. We looked at the profile, we talked to locals and friends, and we knew that that was the dirt roadie day, right? We knew that that was the day that we were probably going to be I mean, the endurance component of it that day was great. It was a long day, which is usually good for Sonia and I both. But it was also going to be kind of a group dynamics day and a roadie day, and a lot of wide open stuff. And, and so we knew that that was going to be, if we were going to lose time or, or when we lose time, that was probably going to be it. Right? It was. It's hard for both of us to motivate in that kind of stuff. And so we, we actually felt really good going into day four. Uh, or day day three because that was the first of the really good like single track days when we went up into the mountains into um oh what was that area called it was so gorgeous i've been telling everybody what that area was called now i can't remember <laughs> what we got up there it was it's you know it's this unesco world heritage site and it's these incredible granite stones that are just like planted in this in this beautiful valley and and they we, we rode up to that on day two. We were going to spend a couple days in that and then arrive back to the coast. And so we knew that those day three and day four, which day four was the, the queen stage, right? The hardest day. We knew that those were going to be sort of more technical in some components, right? We knew there was going to be single track, which is a mixed bag. Whenever you go south of the U.S. border, it's like, I don't know what that's going to mean. It could be goat path or it could be legit single track. So we knew some of that. We knew that they were going to be uh, tough, tough days, which again plays kind of to our benefit, our strengths. 
And so I think, honestly, psychologically going into day three, we knew we had work to do, right? We knew that we had about eight minutes gap to make up and then hopefully capitalize on. But we also knew that the terrain was suddenly starting to play to our strengths a little bit. I don't think we knew how much until we actually got out there on day three and we did get a little bit of a gap and it was like, hey, this is our kind of stuff. But psychologically, you know, it, it wouldn't have changed how we sort of committed to the effort, right? We had, a, you know, we had a conversation and we said, you know, today we're going to do as much as we're going to work as hard as we can. Sonia especially was, was we were focused on a really good start. You know, Sonia's been working on a bunch on those and, and it showed a lot every day how much work she'd been doing on starts because it was like we could get out and with the right group to stay clear. And that's what we did, you know, so we focused on a good start. Focused on staying safe, focused on making time where we can, and it went, and day three was was a killer day. I think probably my favorite day of Brazil Ride. Yeah, yes. that, was, that was my favorite day too. And I also think that making tactical decisions, like whenever there's a lot of people, you come into a trail, but people would just like line up, stopped waiting to get in the trail. And instead of just getting in the line, I would just go up the side and just get in front of as many people as possible on the trail because... I got to get in front of you. like. <laughs> so like psychologically though, going into this day, so you're down eight minutes, but I knew that I know that Gordon and I work well as a team together because we had raced together before in New Zealand. I know that neither one of us are ever going to give up like ever. I also knew that it was also going to be hot again, but I knew that, okay, it's going to be hot. So what do I, what am I going to do about it? So right. the second, there was a couple moments where like, it feels like you're on fire because the sun comes out <laughs> and it's a hundred, but it's also humid. It feels like a, an egg. Like when you put a fried egg on, on a frying pan, like that's what it felt like to me. So immediately taking action, pouring water on yourself, backing off the pace, trying to ride in the shade, even if it was for a few seconds. So I really was focused on that. And also just letting the day go, like you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. It happens in training. It happens at work. It happens all the time. So being able to let the bad day go and not let the bad day define you is really important whenever you're doing anything. So especially in stage racing. So when I woke up on day three in the morning, it's like the evening after the bad day, I actually felt fine. Like at dinner, Gordon and I were back to our normal selves again, and we were looking around um, at everybody else and Almost everybody, like a lot of other people were uh, pitted, like to use Gordon's word, like destroyed, like just look like death warmed over. So I was like, well, at least we don't look like that. That's good. And then, yeah, like day three started and the legs were there. We felt good and we had a killer day. Like it was 50 miles. It was the hardest day, even though it wasn't technically the queen stage, but it was freaking amazing. It was a fun adventure. We enjoyed, like we really enjoyed it and it really showed. And we put like, I don't know, I think we won that day by maybe 30 minutes or something. Yeah, it was 20 and change. I remember that because it was like, it, I mean, it was substantial. And we went into it, you know, I was really proud of how we wrote it because we went into it with a plan of, you know, having seen some of the riders that we were around on day two, you know, knowing kind of what our XC pace compared to, knowing what our single track potential compared to the, the folks who were fighting. And it was like, all right, let, let's go into this. Let's use, let's have a good start, right? We knew it was going to be crowded and busy, but let's have a good start, safe start. Let's get into the first climb in a really good position, and let's get into the single track uh, sections and make up as much time as we could there. You know, there was not much waiting around that day. There was a lot of passing. There was, I mean, there was a little bit of being passed as kind of the Brazilians would, would do there. 
which we <laughs> We need to talk about this. We, we, we got to talk about why we're calling them the Brazilian, like what that means. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, t- so tell the anecdote about Brazilian. Brazilians. <laughs> yeah, the, we love you know, Brazilians. Here, it's kind of this like agro bra mentality and, and of, I don't know, self-importance maybe. And, and it, everywhere else in the world that is also present. It's right? not it's everybody. Not, yeah. Yeah, it's not unique to the Brazilians. It's, it's kind of unique to that type A mentality of, of bike racers, right? But especially especially when you go into Central and South America, you tend to see that, you know, kind of, this is this is my space and, and, and you're not getting it. Or this is like, you know, I'm not building trail and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's like, okay, like, I get it. You know, I get it. You want to have a great day. You, you know, you think you're fast, like that's cool. But, um, (laughs) you know, there's an element of reality that has to touch there too. Yeah. So we, we definitely worked, we worked really hard that day and we, we pushed it in a single track and we did not mess around through there. And that was really righteous single track. Like it was not day three and day four, both had some, some trail that was not bike trail, right? It was not purpose built bike trail. But it was also not that like stereotypical kind of chunky, bumpy, awful goat path that you hear about sometimes in you know, South of the U.S. sports. Like, <laughs> like technically it is single track, but it's not single track. Right? It's not mountain bike trail. And this was really unique because it was very fun and rideable. Technical, right? Tough, like rudy, rocky, narrow, overhang, jungle single track in and around these beautiful granite slabs. But we made we made the business through there, man. And we got around some folks and we did not tarry. We did not wait around for them to give us a convenient time to pass. Like we we went about our business like getting making time and, and I think that that was really good because it, it did yield us, like Sonia said, like twenty something minutes when we got to the finish. And we got to the finish and felt good. Felt a lot better than we had day three or day two, excuse me. And so day three was like kind of if the phoenix rising from the ashes, maybe like we got so cooked on day two, it was invigorating. Like to work hard and feel good and make time was in turn invigorating for us. You know, it made us go faster and feel better because we were going fast and feeling good. <laughs> and I think both for both you guys, that's certainly endurance is one of your strengths. So as the week goes on, as people start blowing up a little bit and, and struggling with the pace they've been riding and you know, struggling with the train, this just sort of lends to your, or plays to your strength, so you can actually put some time into people. But uh, yeah, that's funny, the, the sort of cultural difference between the value of single track and how it fits in. And even, I think it might even be most specific to North America, and this is a very general, general statement, but North American races put a premium and North American riders put a premium on single track, where some other places put a premium on fitness. So you, you don't often see amazing single track in races that aren't in North America, because that's not where they put the most value. And it can sure. be frustrating for North Americans to go to a race and finally the single track is here and there's dude walking with his arms out on both sides. <laughs> like, no one's getting by. And you're like, hey man, you're walking. I'd like to ride it. Whereas in North America, if there's someone behind you, you move over and bam, they're gone and you just sort of continue on your way. So sometimes you have to sort of not again, again, not everybody's like that, but there's a general cultural difference you have to battle. So you guys now are in the leader's jersey. You've, you've taken that back. How was the rest of the race? Was it just sort of put up your feet and, and roll through it? Or <laughs> like it appears so easy from the outside. I'm in the leader's jersey. 
Sonia, yeah. why don't you take that? Yeah, it wasn't, you know, like you're still racing every single day and anything can happen like a 20 minute lead while you have a couple flat tires and poof, it's gone. Or you have a heat stroke again, poof, it's gone. And there are no guarantees in stage racing and there's never enough time where you actually feel like you can kick your feet up. And um, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but on the last day we had about an hour lead. So we're like, okay, it's the last day. Let's let's maybe like cool off the jets a little bit and not ride at a maximum effort. But we couldn't because there was a battle for the last spot on the podium for third. So the third and fourth place teams were riding like, they were riding like demons. Yeah. And, and we weren't about to give, give up. Like we want to win ever, as many stages as possible. So that forced us to ride harder. But going back to, yeah, going back to day four, five, um, and six, basically, is when I have a race number on my bike, and Gordon, I know you're the same way, it's like, I'm there to race my bike. I don't care how far ahead I am. I want to, like, there's people I'm racing that aren't actually in my race. Like, I want to beat as many people as possible, and that's why I'm there. Um, not in a mean way, but I'm there Correcting to... Correcting souls. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm there to, not just to beat people, I'm there to ride my best. I'm there to give my best performance, and again, ride a race that I can be proud of. And whenever I finish the day saying, yes, like, even if it's not winning the race, I want to finish every day saying, I gave that my all, because that's what matters to me. It doesn't mean anything to me if I just go ride and just kind of putz along. Like, I want a race. Yeah, there's no joy riding when there's a race number on. Um, for both of us, I think you, you, we, well, we get joy from racing perhaps is, is where the joy ride is. But yeah, we, um, no, I mean, you know, to back up and start with your question and, and sort of answer it in sequence of days, right. We, I mean, we did have a decent gap on day, what, three, but it, you know, we, we knew we stayed, you know, we still had 20 something hours of racing left, right. We had done an hour's prologue, we'd done a six-hour day, and then we'd done another, like, four-and-a-half-hour day. And it's like, all of a sudden, we're in this position where we have a lead. We still have 20 hours of racing, right? <laughs> so between that and just between the component of how state racing works, right, you definitely don't have time to, to kind of kick up your feet, you know? And so we did. We just we stayed in that same mentality. Let's check the boxes every day. You know, let's race as hard as we can and do everything and make sure that every calorie we burn outside of racing, every action we partake in is forwarding the goal of riding well and riding safely and riding strong. And, and that was really, that was really tough, right? Brazil ride, Sonia had told me like, this is one of, if not the hardest stage races. And I think that, that <laughs> I know, I know some of our listeners will empathize with this and you guys certainly will like that. The hardest, like, it's hard to conceptualize the hardest because if it's truly the hardest, I'm probably dead. You know, like the, <laughs> the spectrum of things that are easy and things that are hard is so different for somebody that, that partakes in endurance mountain biking because it's a hard, it's, every ride is hard, right? But we still had a lot of really hard racing left. Um, to go back a little bit more, like, when Emily came in, Emily and Jordan, her teammate, came in on day two, like, they were blown, especially Emmy. Like, she had really struggled with some heat stroke and some nutritional deficits. Some of the aid stations were not as well stocked as we expected them to be. And so it immediately took a turn to, like, it was not, you know, gringo-style racing where you pull into the aid station and there's everything you could ever want. You know, there's chocolate-covered Twizzlers, right? It was like, here's the water. You know, and, and there's the trail, <laughs> you know, like it was like, oh, gee, 
And I think that that really worked. I know that that worked Emily because I think she was expecting and needing some additional nutrition and stuff. And it worked us. Like when we got to the first full aid station on day two, it was like, oh man, like this is the, the sweet aid station. Like I'll take some, where did they have gummy worms and I'll fill my bottles with Coke and water and off we go. And throughout the week, we would show up at the last aid station before it had even been set up. So, like, we really had to tune our output based off of those details a little bit more, I think, than we thought. But, yeah, there wasn't much. There wasn't much putting the feet up. Um, there was a lot of work all week. <laughs> yeah, I have a question to do with gear. I mean, there's a lot of talk from Sonia and, and I know you guys are really sort of meticulous about the way you prepare <laughs> and, and the, the bikes you ride and, and, and how you select stuff. So head to bangles. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, what was the sort of the craziest stuff that you guys saw at that race that you're like, what is that person doing riding that? Cause you sometimes see that. And then what did you guys select as me and Sonia, you've been to this kind of a race before and Gordon, you've raced a ton. What was sort of, what did you guys select for gear and, and sort of how'd you plan that out? Well, my go-to for every stage race is a full suspension. I've raced a lot of stage races around the world on a 26-inch hardtail back in the day. And I've, I've since retired from hardtails. So I'm retired. I don't ride hardtails anymore. I can think of one race that I would, and that's pretty much it. So I always ride at, at these types of stage races. My bike is a Scott Spark 900, so it's a 29-inch in the 100 to 120 millimeter range full suspension bike. And I've been riding Shimano XTR 2x11 because you want to have good gearing. So whenever it's downhill and you can pedal, you can get extra advantage. And when it's steep as heck, you can uh, still ride up as well. So the bikes that I disapproved of were all the hardtails, which my partner happened to be riding one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I raced for pivot cycles and I raced, um, I really, I had a decision between the 49SL and the, um, you know, which is their 100 mil travel rear end fully or the less, uh, which is a bike that I race and ride a ton, but it's a single speed and a geared bike. I also have a 49 trail that I thought briefly about, but that's just too much bike for, for a Brazil ride. And I did, I went with the less and I, you know, I mean, hardtails are something that I spend a lot of time on it. I don't, I won't say that that was the best bike for Brazil ride, but I think for me it was right. The hardtail is cool because it, 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 you know, has two bottle cages. It has a super stable feel and, and geometry. And with the dropper post too, I, I was really able to, to shred and pace with Sonia. But the hardtail is nice because it gives me kind of a really good platform to support, right? Even if it's not as comfortable in some cases, it's, it's really light, which offsets, you know, maybe carrying a bigger pack. Um, carrying my water. It, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's super efficient, it's super light, and I think it supplements us as a team really well. Um, we saw that in Pioneer because I could carry several bottles. We saw the same thing in Brazil because I could carry, you know, a camelback with some water for myself and then a bottle or two for, for Sonia. And it was like, this is the right tool for the job, I think. And it happens to be a bike. I spend a tremendous amount of time on here stateside and race a lot stateside. So we both had, what, 100-millimeter Fox step cast forks, and we both had dropper seat posts as well. And I think... Mm -hmm. I think we were able to pretty well keep pace with each other based off of those you know, those component choices. Um, similarly geared, Sonia has Shimano XTR Di2. Uh, she had double chainring, which was awesome. I opted for a single chainring for simplicity and weight, and a 46 out back. So we had she had a little bit more gear options than I did, but not you know not by much. There's maybe one climb that I kind of had to 
had to buzz up on a little bit faster because of the gearing. But generally speaking, I think um, I think our gear were, were, were pretty hero. You know, I think we made smart choices um, in terms of gearing. I know that our competition brought both hardtails and fullies, and they swapped around a little bit. Um, oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, they had hardtails one day, and they had fullies most of the rest of the race. Oh, okay. Um, but we we did laugh. Our uh, some of the German competition that we had referred to my bike as the family planning bike which i got the biggest <laughs> <kick> out of. <laughs> i got the biggest kick out of that how, how is, is the family planning going today oh you have the family planning bike yeah good choice yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really, really funny. Um, yeah the sportograph team tom janice and uh betty yeah, they're awesome. They own Sportograph. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Sportograph. Like they, they're a company that does all the race photos at tons of stage races. And I didn't really know much about it. And it was cool to meet the, the guy that started it because he was a trip and he's a good rider and his wife is awesome too. And they go do all these stage races. They were bruisers for sure. They were tough as nails and they were really, they were a lot of what I love about endurance mountain biking because they were so fun and so engaging and so like competitive all at the same time. Sonny mentioned in day six, there was kind of a throwdown. They were one of the teams throwing down. It was like, wow, like, woo, there's some heat, man, some heat. They were cool. They were really fun. They were definitely a trip. But, uh, yeah. It was good times. (laughs) (laughs) I know part of me is jealous I didn't didn't get to go, and part of me was happy because that (laughs) that looked – that looked really, really difficult. Like the, the days themselves were long. I mean, and there's lots of stage races that have long days, but it was technical and, and hot. And I think when you put it all together, that, you know, that's got to be one of the hardest ones out there. Yeah. And I mean, as a team, right, like especially mixed team, the weaker rider is at their maximum limit every single day. So I was I'm still I honestly am still recovering from the race. Like I'm 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 riding and I'm on the trainer at home because it's been snowy here. But I do these things called step tests so you can gauge kind of what your recovery is looking like. And what a step test is, is, you know, kind of where your FTP is. And I'm going to get a little bit geeky for a second. So bear with me, guys. But basically, the steps are certain percentages of your FTP and you do them for three minutes each. And I record my heart rate, power and respiratory frequency at each step. And I'm able to gauge what system is tired and if I should be training hard or not. And my heart rate is, my heart is still tired from the race despite rest. And yeah, the Brazil ride has blown me up every year. And how long has it been since? Uh, it's been like, has it been three weeks? Not even. But, Gor- but Gordon freaking went to uh, Costa Rica to race La Ruta, like literally a week later. Like I was on the, I was on the couch, just like, <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. I can barely even work. I can't really do anything. And I was texting Gordon like, what's up, buddy? It's like, oh, I'm on the plane, uh, about to get on the plane to go do La Ruta. And I was like, F that, like you're a machine. <laughs> I had some similar words for it too, but I was suspending <laughs> them for the time being. <laughs> yeah, no, that was um, both because we had, a, I mean, a legit race on our hands and because of the prestige of the event and because of the difficulty of the event. We, um, yeah, it worked, worked me. It worked me hard and it worked, I know it worked Sonia and it worked Emily and Jordan and, um, I mean, accomplished riders on day four of the Queen stage. It took it took a lot of accomplished riders, like the 10, the 9 to 11 hour range to do 100K of racing and, and that was serious like there were not easy days <laughs> you know they were great days they were beautiful days and they were tough days and and um not for the faint of heart for sure 
So, and Gordon, you got an interesting perspective because you got to see the race from the race leader's jersey, but your wife is also racing and it's her first race. So you got <laughs> to see someone's first experience at a race before. One hell of a stage first race. First stage race. So, you know, what's, I mean, I can't even imagine like the, the, the dichotomy of that experience, but <laughs> stoked for different reasons on both sides, but also challenges on different reasons from both sides. So as a household, as a couple, what's that like from a debriefing standpoint? Like how do you, you know, support one another and, you know, and keep the stoke going? And, and all that yeah it was interesting wording you asking what it was like from a debriefing standpoint and i don't i don't know that we did debrief until we got we were in sao paulo i think on the way home and we did we had a couple hour layover and we sat down and we ate too much food and we just like talked about that experience from our own eyes from supporting each other emily is awesome because she knows me in this context of competing you know, many, many, many weekends of the year and training every day in one capacity or another. And so she knows me in that capacity, but it was the first time she had actually gotten to see the same things I was seeing, you know, ride the same trail, experience the same heat and humidity and, and difficulty of terrain. And while I was incre- I mean, totally impressed knowing that she had some fitness and had some preparation going into it, but also seeing every day what that was like, like totally impressed that she finished as much as she did. But at the same time, I think it gave her a really good firsthand appreciation for like how much that taxes me and how hard those sort of things are that are like on the outside, like they're really fun, right? They're a great thing, they're a great fun thing you're going to go do, right? Oh, that must have been fun. You raced seven days in Brazil and it's like fun, maybe. Like, I'll get back to you on fun, you know? It's kind of that type two fun, some people call it. I know they gave Emmy a really good appreciate, appreciation for like how tough those kinds of things are that I'm, you know, I'm traveling to do all the time. And, and, and on the one hand, I think she really appreciated that. Like it gave some gravity to that. And on the other hand, it actually kind of helped fine tune what she really enjoys or doesn't enjoy about riding. And so as we're building out like our 2018 schedule, it's like there's some hard Brazil ride type stuff on it. And she just, you know, she found out she doesn't really, she doesn't enjoy that in the same way I do, right? It's not, it's not a fun vacation thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) There's uh, there's some awesome pictures of us in, uh, at the Pioneer earlier this year. And I was racing with Sonia from a couple of perspectives. And there's pictures of me just in the van, so blown, like just completely, absolutely Yeah, just all tuckered out. Yeah, I have pictures of Matt just like passed out asleep and pictures of Matt at the finish line, just like totally done. And in fact, in Colombia, there is a picture because Matt also raced Colombia. There's a picture of me and you could see how hard, or maybe this was from Costa Rica. It was some race we did. And you can see like from the indentations in his arm, I'm gripping his arm, just staring at him. Like this look of complete concern on my face of him at the finish line are like, are you alive? Well, and that's, you know, a fair question. And I suppose I should ask you this is what's, I mean, often when we race, we'll, we'll be at these very like big international stage races or hundred milers or really physically taxing races. And I would say 99.99% of the time, Sonny's at the finish line before I am. And, and our experiences are often different in the race. So what's that like from your perspective, looking at your spouse and, you know, so, so how does that change your experience and what are you, what's going through your head? Well, first I'll tell everybody that you beat me in one of the stages in Colombia. So it does happen <laughs> from time to time that he, he and his teammate beat us by one minute, but they beat yes. us. And I was happy for Matt, but I was sad for me. Um, <laughs> not because that he beat me, but because I was just, was that was so one of the long. most miserable days I've ever had on a bike 
and I'm not discrediting your like you rode like an animal, and I'm I, not discrediting you I, I, in any way. I had way a great day when I saw you. That. I hammered extra hard. Yeah, but. that's good. I'm, I'm glad you did, and that's how it should be. That's how it should be. So yeah, like whenever your your partner is there, and maybe you're the the faster partner. My number one concern is that I just want to make sure that you're happy and that you're having fun and that you're suffering in a good way, not in a bad way. Like, because that's what I want. Like, I want I want you to suffer and have a good time, but I don't want you to be suffering because you're hurt or because you have heat stroke or any of those things. I've had both of those. Yeah, which have happened. You know, Matt's endured all those things at these races. So I'm always at the finish line just hoping that you know, that he doesn't finish too close to me because I'm competitive, <laughs> <laughs> but also hoping that he's out there having a good time and that he finishes, crosses the line feeling fulfilled and proud of how he rode. And I have to say and give Matt a lot of credit, like this year he's ridden incredibly well. Like there are some stages over the course of the year and races where he wasn't very far behind me, like 10 minutes. And it used to be a lot more, that gap used to be a lot bigger. So he's he's been riding incredibly well. And I think that, for Matt, I mean, his background is playing basketball. He played college ball, and then he got into cycling. But he's never really done – like, he's been doing endurance racing, but he never really learned how to race properly. So it's been also fun kind of being a mentor for Matt and teaching him, like, what it's like – what you do to race properly in an endurance race. Yeah, and that's a big – there's one thing to learn how to train, which is always a challenge, and there's another whole – you know, ball wax learning how to race. And it's cool that, you know, as you, you can pick this up later on in life or you can do it from being a kid, but learning how to, to prep well and race well is a, is a, the actual racing itself is another whole skill set. So you can be strong and fit and it just doesn't translate to, to a good result, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And then knowing how to support your partner, like, I mean, Matt has to support me as well. Like knowing how to support your partner when maybe it didn't go like you wanted it to go. And, I'm a little bit weird. Like I hate it when people tell me good job when I know it wasn't a, a good job. And that's something that I'm sensitive about and something that Matt's really aware of. Like he won't tell me a good job when he knows that I am not happy with my race. And also knowing how to troubleshoot what happened. Like some things don't go well and being able to be honest with yourself and with your partner or your friend or whoever you're speaking to about the race and how to make, how to make it better. And and also to tell your partner, like, hey, you're being way too hard on yourself, which Matt does that for me quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I guess one of the challenges for you guys both being, you know, really at, at the top of your game is, uh, you know, you, you want to do well all the time. So it, it, when things don't go well, you, you can sometimes get pretty upset. And you guys both outwardly do a great job of, you know, being positive and supporting everybody around you. So I think we've seen lots of comments pop up on Instagram and Facebook just saying you guys were amazing at Brazil Ride. You're positive and smiling the whole time and nice to everybody and sort of bringing Stoke along with you on the trail. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was cool that people could kind of feel that about about us because of the language barrier. Like they actually interviewed us about that on the stage one day. Like you guys are always positive and have good vibes. And like, how do you do that? And my answer was, don't take yourself so seriously. And when you don't take yourself so seriously, you can laugh at yourself and you can be kind to yourself, which isn't always easy to do. But outwardly, you know, you're setting an example of, of what that looks like. And I do think it makes it easier to have good vibes. Whenever you're a happy person and you're okay with yourself, that shows outwardly, but that takes work to get there. Yeah, I think racing, you know, I said earlier, that kind of type A mentality, that, that sort of racing, heavy-duty, hardcore, like, personality type seeks perhaps seeks validation by like proving themselves to others and i think when you show up 
kind of having already proven yourself to yourself, I think that shows, you know, I think you can want to excel and want to work hard and want to, to win, you know, you have to want to win to do it typically. It doesn't, you don't stumble upon it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to really want to win and to be working absolutely at your best. But when you approach that from a, a position of having already earned your own self-worth yourself, like that's, that shows and that kind of sparkles to everybody around you. And I think that they acknowledge that that's different, whether they speak English or not. And I think that that did come across, you know, I think that did come across with a lot of people. And of course, I mean, you know, Sonia is so present on so many social media platforms and, and in, in so many worlds that, that I think that they get that about her already. But I think it was really fun to see kind of both of us in that capacity, like, wow, there's a, there's two weird people like that, you know, and in fact, <laughs> you were there, there have been three, you know? <laughs> and when they got to interact with Danny and Jordan, there was, you know, four and five. Like, it was, it was really cool because I think people were seeing a different way to do successful bike racing. And that was really cool. You know, that was really neat. Yeah, and I think it's also reflected in how you treat people. And you don't have to speak to people, but yeah. are you making eye contact? Are you smiling with people? Are you approachable? And that's something that just, it's, it's body language and it's how you carry yourself. And if you're, if you're afraid that people are judging you and like you're insecure and, and you know what, guess what? It's okay to be insecure and it's okay to be worried about all that stuff. It's, it's a learning process. I've completely been there. I cried through my first year as a pro in my races. I would, I would cry because I suck so bad <laughs> and it was really humbling. And I was like worried that everyone would think I sucked and, I was that person and I, w I was that person. So I'm not afraid to say that. And everybody has a journey. So, you know, work on your journey and work on getting to a point where you feel good in your own skin. And it's not a finish line. Like it's something that I constantly have to work at. I made a post on Instagram today about what, how do you feel like you are enough in your life? And Matt and I had a conversation this morning over breakfast, like our weekend breakfast talks get kind of fun. But we're talking about recognition and caring about what other people think and, and the line of that. And we could go on for another hour about that. But just getting getting comfortable with who you are and, and accepting yourself for who you are, I think is a really important thing. And it's through talking about it with others. It's through journaling. It's through reading a bunch of books that you find valuable. That That's how you work on that process. It's self-awareness. And I really do think that, that the bike teaches you a lot about that. And I think both you guys are good examples. And I think especially when you're at the top of your sport, whatever sport that is, or the top of your community, whatever you are, you have a responsibility to, to act uh, in a certain way because people will follow what you follow because they want to be like you. They look up to you. So you truly are role models. And you guys both do an amazing job of setting the tone for people around you. And it's surprising that inadvertently people will sort of mirror behaviors, right? That are either positive. I mean, I'm not going to grow a mustache. You have a fabulous mustache. But I try, <laughs> but it just didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, if you are outgoing and nice to people, enthusiastic, and it, that trickles down around you. And it's, it's great to see that both of you guys can lead by example. So well done. Well, thank you. <laughs> Well, I think we're pretty close to our limit here. So I wanted to thank you guys both for being so honest about your experiences and telling us about how awesome Brazil Ride was. And yeah, yeah. is there anything you guys wanted to, to wrap up with? Uh, I just want to thank Gordon, you know, again, publicly, like Gordon is such a great partner and, you know, in racing and such a great friend. Like, I feel really fortunate to have found really cool partners this year, like 
Gordon yeah. is, and, and my teammate from La Landa, Amy Beth McDougal, like all the team races I did this year were successful and fun. And it's really cool to have positive and inspiring people in your life. And you are who you spend your time with and you are who you surround yourself with. So it's really cool to have you and Emmy and, and Matt and, and everybody around us that just makes the experience so much better. Like a bike race is just a bike race, but it's the people that are there and the experience you have with those people that really make it matter. Yeah, and I mean, to mimic that, to repeat that, same from my perspective, you know, I mean, you are, like you said, you are who you surround yourself with, and you control your experience in the sounding boards that you bring with you, you know, and, and yeah, to have you as a teammate who, and if someone asked me why we had teamed up a couple of times together, and I said, you know, it's quite simply because I, I don't have to be emotional support <laughs> for some <laughs> I get to be I get to I get to have a very clear role and that is to help us move as fast as we possibly to push can. <laughs> Carry my shit. <laughs> and I, you know, not have to play emotional support. Or, or very rarely do we really have to emotionally support each other in any other way than building each other up, you know? It's none of this like standing on the side of the trail crying business, which we've all done and has its place and has its time, but you know, not at, not an ECI stage race. It's buttoned up before then. You know, <laughs> and, and that was that's a real that's a real blessing, and it's a real it's a friendship and a partnership that I really treasure. And same to you guys. You know, it's been awesome to spend sixty cumulative racing hours <laughs> with Sonia and with you, Matt, and, and to see all of us undergo some changes and go into an off season and, and uh, you know stoke the fires, build, focus, press. Uh, uh, rest. Yeah, we texted about that a little bit this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, all of that. I'm excited. It's been a really fun 2018. I'm really seeing the podcast take off and see folks get so excited to hear new editions and listen to some amazing people that I, I've always wanted to hear um, interviewed. So kudos on that and, and thanks for having me on again. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. These podcasts are just so much fun. I mean, you get to sit there and chat with people that you really like or people that you really look up to. And I really like talking with Gordon and Matt, especially at the same time. Brazil Ride was such a cool experience. And again, I feel really fortunate to have such great people in my life and to have a really good race partner where we can go all over the world and take on the hardest races and have a really fun and positive experience. And it also doesn't hurt to be able to kick some serious butt, but that's not always what it's about. Even if we didn't win the race, we still would have had a really awesome story to tell you guys and would have had a really positive experience no matter what. Thank you so much for coming back every single week and listening to the show. Maybe this is your first episode, so don't forget to subscribe. But thank you so much for checking it out and for being a part of my community. And hey, if you guys found value in the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference. And share it with your friends because ultimately my goal is to spread more positivity and great information into the world. So the more people that this reaches, the better. If you guys are American, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. <laughs>